Hello, everyone. It's Artem, and today I am joined by Brian Leahy of Brian Leahy Photography. He is a luxury destination wedding photographer with an intense passion for people and travel. Part photographer, part unlicensed therapist, part confidant. When you hire Brian and his team to photograph your destination wedding, you're getting more than just consummate professionals. You're getting travel, photography, and wedding specialists ready for anything your wedding or your crazy friends can throw their way. Brian's incredibly detail-oriented and meticulous on the inside, but loves keeping things fun, comfortable, and absolutely stress-free on the outside. Brian, welcome. Thanks so much, man. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. Did I get your last name pronunciation correct? It was perfect. Leahy. <laughs> Leahy. It's perfect. Brian Thank Leahy. you. I appreciate That's, it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I, I know you probably get uh, a small percentage that don't get it right. It, yeah, very very few get it right the first time, but it's a tricky name, so I, I, I'm never mad about it. Got it. Well, I'm glad I got it right, so welcome. As I mentioned, you're very detail-oriented and meticulous, so you are a professional after my own heart. Uh, I think we have a lot of similarities in that regard. One thing that I wanted to really just dive into is how you feel you got to that point and why you feel you're so meticulous and detail-oriented in your work, in your life, in your photography. That's a great question. Um, my mother. <laughs> That's a great uh, actually, answer. Both of, both of my parents, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, both my parents growing up worked full time. Uh, they've both been self-employed for a long, long time. They're basically my whole family's more or less in the real estate business. My mom runs a real estate office. My dad's a home contractor and home inspector. I actually mm -hmm. used to be in the mortgage business before I was a photographer and I went to business college. I didn't go to art school. I didn't go to photography school. So I come from a business background and just happened to fall into a, a creative field. So, you know, having that kind of upbringing and having two parents who are very, you know, like type A and like, you know, if, if, if you want to buy that new pair of shoes at 15, like go get a job. And, uh, you know, I think growing up that way and going to business school really kind of led me to, you know, being a very detail oriented person. And I'm also like a pretty hardcore Virgo, like I'm a control freak for sure. Mm -hmm. But I will say as I'm getting older, like I can hide the control freak side a little more. And, you know, on my wedding days and event days, I do keep it very light, very fun. But on in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, managing that timeline like no other. So, you know, I, I think as I get older, it's becoming a really good mix of, of how I kind of run my days. But yeah, for me, like, you know, at the end of the day, I want to make sure things are running on time. And I like to make sure that, you know, I don't have to worry about hair and makeup. And if, if they're running late, I'm going to make up for that time. So it's, uh, you know, I kind of enjoy the chaos of a wedding day, but I still want to make sure that, you know, everything's still running as smoothly as I can. Right. The controlled chaos. Exactly. Exactly. No, I would say that as far as being a control freak, I'm a proud member of that club. and I, <laughs> That's a fun I'm, club. It is. I'm trying to coin the term delightfully difficult. That's how I <laughs> position myself. But you know what? I feel like in our industry, you sort of have to be a control freak. I think it actually helps. Oh, absolutely. Maybe not on other aspects and like other relationships, but in this regard, I think it definitely helps, especially when you know, when you are working with the right team, you've got the right planner, the right cinematographer, the right entertainer, and you've got everything aligned, like the stars just align and it's a yep. great, it's all a bunch of control freaks, but working together for one purpose, like that's, that's dope. Exactly. Well, and especially, you know, certain creative categories that have to be control freaks if they're managing any portion of the timeline. So photographers, planners, and DJs, when you're managing timelines and, you know, coordinating things with catering and ceremony, 
you know, you have to be, whereas like, I, I feel like other categories say maybe like a florist or a designer has a little bit more flexibility because they are ultra creative in what they do. And they're not necessarily managing that timeline on that day. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it is interesting to see kind of how people run and manage event days. And I, I love, I love a control freak friend. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. I think we're in the same boat. So tell me a little bit about being meticulous and how you feel like that really shows up in your work. Yeah, that's also great. These are good questions. No, uh, you know, now we that I'm around do, around here, Brian. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. This is good. These are, these are great <laughs> questions. You know, now that I, you know, I specialize in destination weddings. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been shooting for 12 years full time now. I used to shoot mostly Southern California, but I've been full time destination for about three or four years now. And as part of that, you know, I'm working in new locations for the most part every single time I do a wedding. It's very seldom that I shoot a location more than once now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as part of that, you know, I, I, I do my homework. It's, it's a venue that I may have never stepped foot on before. And for me, I actually prefer that. I like working at places I haven't been to before because I tend to be more creative versus a property that, you know, like the back of my hand, I know where the safe shots are. I already know where the light's going to be. I can, I can say, oh, I've hung this dress here five times. I'll just do it again. So, you know, having the ability to walk into a new space and see it for the first time in person allows me to be more creative. But as part of that, you know, I do a lot of research ahead of time. I don't stock other photographers work to see what's been shot at that location because I also don't want to copy someone else's work. Right. So I don't look at any photographer's websites, mm -hmm. but I will stock the property website. I will stock um, them on Google Maps for sure. And I've got a couple apps that most photographers use. So I know exactly what time the sun's going to hit every single portion of that property on this app. Beautiful. And it's amazing. And you can literally pinpoint it to the date. So I can say, okay, great, you know, June of next year uh, you know they're getting married at this exact spot on this lawn at this property I know exactly where that Sun's gonna be what time it's gonna set exactly what direction it's gonna set so you know we do I, and when I say we it's myself and my team as well but um, sure. you know I spend a lot of time preparing for that I'm also the kind of photographer that's very involved with my planners on their timelines as well, because I don't want to show up to a bunch of surprises and say, Oh wait, you only gave me five minutes for family photos. Right. So I like being involved with the timeline because the more I can buffer it and you know, the more time I can give hair and makeup to do what they got to do, the better. So we're super involved in that. And then I will say the one thing I'm really, and I say this because I've had plenty of clients say this to me. So it's not, it's not just a brag mm -hmm. for me. The, I send out a questionnaire prior to the event date, which most photographers do, but I get, you know, full names of all their bridal party, full names of all their family, any of the VIPs. I normally spend like two to three weeks memorizing all those names. And if I can find their photos online, whether that's on Instagram or Facebook, or sometimes I'll have my clients send me photos of their family. So by the time I show up on event weekend, I literally know every single name of every one of their VIPs. So I don't have to say, hey, mom, get together with Stacy. It's going to be like, hey, Stacy and Steve, get together. Hey, Stacy and Sally, get together. So, you know, I think that extra level of preparation makes a huge difference because, you know, who doesn't like to have someone know their name before they've even met them? And yeah. that extra little bit of thing, while it's, it's tough work because remembering names is really difficult, sure. having that extra little ounce of preparation makes a huge difference, especially with family. Bridal party, you know, who knows? They, they could, you know, I've shot weddings where there were 34 people and there's no way I'm memorizing <laughs> 17 groomsmen's names. But at least for family, grandparents, all that, we're really good at making sure we have all that memorized. Uh, so that extra little bit of preparation really makes an impact on on how close we can get with that family in a really short period of time. 
Yeah, no, as an MC and entertainer, one of my biggest pet peeves is MCs who say bride and groom. And that just gets to me because I'm like, they have names. And, yeah. and you know, whether it's a bride and bride, a groom and groom, bride and groom, doesn't matter. Sure. It's sure. two names you have to remember. I haven't yeah, done two, any like <laughs> polygamous weddings. I don't know if there's, if there's something that we get to remember more, but it's only, usually it's only two. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not that complicated. And same thing, I, I will reach out to parents prior and just get to know them a little bit because I feel like even though you are not necessarily relinquishing any creative control or power, the fact that you're doing that just makes them feel like they're involved. Yeah. And it makes them feel like, you know, it makes all those people feel like rock stars on that day, even though sure it's bride and bride, bride and groom, groom and groom. Right. It makes everybody feel that extra little bit of special, even though it's not their day. So it just, it, it just elevates the mood for everybody. Yeah. I like calling it exclusive inclusiveness. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Right? okay. We're, we're trademarking a lot today, Brian. <laughs> I know. I'm like, can you send me this list? These are good. <laughs> so what is it then that took you from, you mentioned earlier that it was primarily California and then really right now the focus is destination. So what took you either mentally or just what got you to a point in your business when you went, aha, I can go and explore other areas and destination events? So that was always the original goal eventually. Mm. I mean, I, you know, having shot for over a decade now, I never really thought photography was going to be my career. I kind of just fell into this. Sure. But what I, what I very first photographed when I started any sort of photography was travel. And after college, uh, my parents basically for my graduation gifts sent me, they said, hey, we're going to pay for half a trip to anywhere you want to go in the world. And my parents at the time were not big travelers. We had never traveled a ton as kids. Like we'd gone to like Hawaii and Mexico, but nothing crazy. Mm -hmm. And it was a weird gift for them to give me, but I, something in their head must've been like, yeah, this is, you know what, let's, let's send them out in the world. Yeah. And I ended up going to Ecuador for two and a half weeks by myself straight out of college and had the most wow. incredible time and had never been anywhere like it. I mean, it, it was such a unique experience after that trip. I booked the next year a four and a half month tour of all of South America. Wow. I covered, I covered more in that time than most people will see in a lifetime. And that really, that trip just completely changed my life. Travel has always been a huge part of my personal life. And even coming to LA, I'd never been to LA before I moved here. I'd been here for like 24 hours once and just ended up randomly moving out here for some work. And just kind of started on that path of traveling more and more. And I, you know, I built a good business in LA and it treated me very well. But the ultimate goal was always to do destination. And once I had gotten to a point in my career where I'd kind of tapped out in LA, as far as the rates I was charging, the locations that I could photograph and work at, um, I started making a very, very conscious decision to start pushing into destination more. Mm. And I mean, it's, you know, it's taken, you know, four years, three years. Sure. But now, now it's all I do. I mean, I think I have one LA wedding this year. Otherwise, and I'll still shoot LA weddings. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if somebody's willing to pay my rates, I'll shoot anywhere for the most yeah, part. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now, now I get to travel, you know, I do mostly domestic uh, destination within the States and some international mixed in here and there. Um, Italy, uh, Africa, New Zealand. So pretty much, you know, anywhere people want to send me and, and you know, it's, it's a hustle for sure, but it, it's I love it. And to be able to combine my my real passion with my work is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Do you also cushion Do you give yourself a little bit of time before or after an event to just explore the area? If I can, absolutely. Uh, it, it depends on the location for sure. I mean, even within the States, there's locations that I haven't worked at before. 
uh, even, you know, coming up this year, I've got events in Vermont and in South Carolina. So for those ones, because I, even if I can stack in an extra 24 hours or 36 hours in a place just to go explore the town on Sunday after we're done for the weekend, I will definitely stack it in. Otherwise, if it's an international wedding, yeah, a lot of times I'm going to try and stack in like an extra week if I can. You know, I do a limited number of events because I'm only really shooting about 15 to 17 weddings per year. So okay. if I don't have a wedding the next weekend somewhere else, I will absolutely try and stack in some vacation if I can and send most of my gear with my team back to the States so mm. I don't have to worry about my gear. And then I can really just go explore and, and travel. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you do that because I know a lot of people sometimes talk about destination events and they go, oh, it's just strictly work and I don't cushion any time. Like, why? Like, what's the big deal? Like, exactly. If you and don't have anywhere to be, like if it's, there's no commitment elsewhere. Yeah, like I don't I have, have a day back. job on Monday that I have to be back for. Right. Well, and the other thing we try and do too, um, you know, my team and, you know, I don't have guys or gals that specifically only shoot for me. Most of my team is all professional photographers from anywhere else in the country, mm -hmm. but I work my team really hard. I treat them very, very well. And in return, I also want to make sure that I give them some extra time too. So a lot of times if we're shooting say Thursday, Friday, Saturday for a wedding in Arizona, I'll encourage them to stay through Monday and I'll pay them extra for sure. We'll, you know, I'll get an extra hotel night. And then that Sunday we'll basically do a team day wherever we are. So last, um, last year I had a really cool wedding in Santa Fe and I'd never been there before. There's this really weird art installation warehouse thing called uh, meow wolf in Santa Fe. Okay. If you haven't been, that's the only reason I would probably ever go back to Santa Fe to be honest, but <laughs> it, it was an incredible experience, but the entire vendor team for the most part took Sunday off and we all went and experienced it. Like went and had some drinks, had dinner together and that team bonding day after event day is phenomenal and it just cements those relationships as well and it knows it, it lets my team know that they're you know that they're valued it's also fun for me to hang out with those guys and gals so for the most part even if i can get in an extra 24 hours to do something fun for my team on sunday and then we'll all fly home monday that's great i like the fact that you showed them appreciation at the same time you're conscious about burnout because that's something that we, of course, we sometimes as business owners think about for ourselves. Well, yeah. hopefully, hopefully we were thinking about that. <laughs> but a lot of times we're in our own heads that we don't think about our team or sometimes everybody around us. They go, well, they're also going to get burned out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of these weddings now are, you know, they're high pressure, they're, you know, high yeah. guest count. Like, and, and my typical wedding day on a Saturday is not 10 hours. Like my typical Saturday is 12 to 15 hours. So we're working those days. And, you know, we shoot because most of my clients are like big partiers, super outgoing, adventurous, outdoorsy. You know, we're shooting till, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. We're working all day and we, we don't stop until the very last dance of that night. So, you know, and, and nothing's worse than like having to fly home on, you know, at 10 a.m. on a Sunday after working three days in a row and having mm. a major rager on Saturday. So I'm like, nope, let's sleep in, go get some brunch, have a couple, you know, Bloody Marys and some mimosas. We'll go explore town. And then by, you know, by Monday, they're just like nice and relaxed and flying home on Monday. It's, it's, it, it definitely changes the dynamic of the team, especially if they know they have that to look forward to on Sunday too. team tends to work harder on the weekend. Right. So there's like a, a goal and then there's a reward at the end of that tunnel. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. And I think that probably, I'm mean, going to correct me if I'm wrong, but that probably also stems from watching your parents growing up and seeing them run their business. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, especially on my, on my mom's side, she not only has she run real estate offices, but she was a corporate trainer for real estate for like 10 years. So she's used to being in front of a lot of people. She's used to leading, you know, large teams, small teams, um, used to kind of being that authority figure while also being, you know, a mentor. So yeah, I think watching her quite a bit and how she, she manages her business certainly, certainly rubbed off for sure. Great. Now talking about that lineage of high personalities and control freaks, if you will. One thing that I was thinking about the other day is the term perfectionist mm-hmm. and has a negative connotation. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, that's a pet peeve of mine. Not the fact that it has a negative connotation, but the word itself. Shouldn't technically everyone be a perfectionist? Well, don't you think like everyone should strive to be their best, even though perfection is not attainable? Shouldn't sure. we at least always be trying to create our best work and to put our best effort into something? I mean, in theory, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that definitely applies for our industry because ninety percent of us are self-employed. Like, you know, we d- we are not working for a company, or we are working for ourselves. So, I think striving for that perfection absolutely makes sense in that case because we can't just go to work and give seventy-five percent. Like, if 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 we gave seventy-five percent, we're not going to work because people will recognize that. Right. You know, we're not going to an office where we can sit there and kind of just goof around on the internet all day and then, oh, I got like an hour's worth of work done today because my boss didn't realize what was happening. Mm-hmm. So I think when you work with so many colleagues who are all self-employed and maybe solo entrepreneurs or may have you know a business partner, but it's still them in charge, I think that kind of lends itself to to being perfectionists because. If, if it's not good, it's only our fault, not anyone else's. So I, I think it lends itself to that, which, which I love. I mean, have, you know, getting to work in an industry full of creatives who are self-employed, I think right. is amazing because everybody tends to push each other too, because they know if you're slacking off, they know if you're not doing it, you know, to hundred percent or even 99. So it's, uh, there's a lot of accountability there. Yeah. Are you implying that the corporate world sometimes isn't super efficient? No, I would never imply that. No, Actually, no. Yeah, I don't care. I don't <laughs> I, like the, I couldn't even tell you the last time I like put a resume together. I mean, I haven't had like, I haven't had a boss boss mm-hmm. because even when you work for the mortgage company, you're, you're hundred percent commission sales. You're an independent sort of so, speaker, right? while there was a manager in that office, I haven't really had a boss my entire life actually. It's like since I was like 16, 17. So it's, uh, I can't even imagine going back to like a regular office job. Oh my gosh. It gives me anxiety. Yeah, no, that's, that doesn't sound great. But shout out to corporate America though. I'm sure uh, you're doing well. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure things are okay. But we're, we're open to sponsorship opportunities as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, especially. So before we really hop into a little bit more about you and your childhood, speaking as an MC on behalf of entertainers, I would like to thank you for not pulling uh, the couple out for sunset shots, like right during the first dance or... <laughs> <laughs> or during toasts or anything. So thank you for doing your homework about when that sunset is actually going to be. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than <laughs> making a DJ upset. You know, when you guys are in charge technically of like that whole last six hours of the night, you know, I, I think it really comes down to a lot of coordination to making sure, you know, you know, for us too, because we're keeping an eye on that sunset, you're the first guy I'm going to come and talk to and say, hey, there's a chance I may want to pull them in like 30 minutes. Is there a good time in that 30 minute window? We can do that. So, you know, and that's, that's a lot of coordination between the photographers, the DJs, the caterer and the planner to make sure that that happens. So, you know, I think 
really at the end of the day, it always comes down to communication between, between all the partners. 100%. And I would say usually, especially when those teams, like we were talking about when the stars align and then you have a solid team, those are usually conversations that are had even before that day. Oh, so absolutely. It's, just, it's great to feed off of the communication with everybody else. And when you're part of that and you then step your game up and go, okay, we're all communicating. Great. I know everybody here is looking at the ultimate goal, just like I am. So exactly. Awesome. Just speaking of the wedding day or an event day, because obviously for both of us, those are pretty long days. Yep. And I know you well enough uh, as far as like you're, you're health conscious, you're aware of what's going on with, with yourself, with your body. What is a Brian, uh, whether it's a snack pack or something, what's a Brian meal or, or day throughout? How does that wedding day look snack wise? Or what do you do? Because it is just like a 16 hour day potentially. Sure, sure. So I don't, I'm not really a breakfast guy just because I, I, I'm a night owl. So I tend to stay up late. I tend to get out of bed around nine or 10 every day. Wow. So I don't typically eat breakfast, but on event day, I absolutely will do like a major carb load for sure. If it's an yeah. LA area wedding, I have like my go-to, the only restaurant I order the exact same thing every time. If I'm on the road, it's a little bit trickier, but typically I will find like the best brunch spot mm -hmm. in that town. So I'll, I'll do some research the week before, see if I can get a reservation, but I'll also take my team out to that breakfast too. Cause I don't want to go anywhere like super shady. Cause I don't want to have to risk like eating something that's going to mess with me for the rest of the day. Yeah, sure. We'll carb load at like 8am, 9am. My day may start around 11 or 12 kind of just depends on time of year and, and location. But, um, so massive meal at the beginning, I'm kind of just running on a, on those carbs and adrenaline for the entire day. I don't typically snack throughout the day, especially because my shooting style, I'm very active. Like I, I like, I like quick moving. I like to keep a really fun, active pace. Makes so sense. I don't really have a lot of time to slow down and eat something. If my team needs to eat great, like they can take five minutes, do what they got to do. Mm -hmm. But I typically will not have anything to eat between my 8am breakfast and what's probably like an 8pm, 9pm dinner. Whoa. Um, yeah, it's like, I'm fine with it. Like I do, I do well on adrenaline and I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I don't do energy drinks. So no caffeine. I just typically have naturally high energy, at least on event days. Right. And so, you know, we'll scarf dinner for five minutes in the vendor room in the back. And yeah. then after the wedding, if I can, I'm going to find an in and out somewhere and just stuff my face because <laughs> otherwise then I will definitely crash. Uh, so yeah, it's, I do well on event days. Sundays for me are, are way rougher than anything else because a Sunday wedding hangover is a real thing. Anybody in the event world knows this. That so is. my Sundays are rough. Like I will sleep as long as I possibly can. I'll probably get up and have a bloody Mary if I don't need to be responsible for anything, uh, and then go have a massive meal. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of fast on event day and then stuff my face on Sunday. So not the healthiest. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's but a little, luckily, a you know, it's only two days out of the week and it's only, you know, a couple once or twice a month. So it's fine. Well, you're talking 10 to 17 weddings a year, right? Especially yep. when you're out in destination areas. So it's a little trickier. So it's not as terrible as, uh, as it could be. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> like well, I'm not stuffing down like candy bars all day long to keep me going. That's true too. Or even the energy drinks, like you said, cause I'm pretty sure that's just like, um, like five cans of sugar just rolled into exactly yeah like sugar. i'd rather run on fumes than run on too much sugar and like really really crash at the end of the night too because i want to have like the same amount of energy throughout the day and you know on the photography side it's funky because our highest energy portion of the day is the very end of the day 
So our last two or three hours of the night, like we're in the middle of the dance floor, people are turning up, like we are getting in there in the mix. So we go from like what's slow and paced out at getting ready to like the highest energy at the very end of the night. So we need the most energy at, you know, midnight. So if we're having dinner at eight or 9 PM, just that extra five minutes of eating is normally enough to keep us going for the rest of the night. What were you going to say then uh, you pioneered intermittent fasting before it was even a thing? <laughs> before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. So going back to you and let's rewind all the way back. You spent time in your childhood between, correct me if I'm wrong, Washington and Arizona? Correct. Yeah. So I grew up in Washington state until I was 13 and then moved with the family to Tucson at 13 um, and was in Tucson for 13 years before I moved to L.A. Wow. And is your family still in Tucson or are they? Uh, yeah, my folks are still in Tucson. My brother's in the Bay Area. I've got some family in Phoenix, Northern California. Most of my family's all West Coast-ish. Okay. And you feel like you're pretty set on Los Angeles. You're, you're a California guy. I love it here. Yeah. I mean, I've been in LA about 10 and a half years. Um, and I have no intentions of leaving anytime soon. I live about a mile from the beach um, outside of like today's rain. The weather here is always so damn good. So, <laughs> you know, I like the lifestyle. I have the most incredible friends in the entire world out here. We have this incredible, absolutely incredible group of people and we travel the world together. Um, we do a lot of holidays and events together. So if my entire friend group decided to move to another place, that would be the only reason I would live out, leave LA. But otherwise, yeah, it's the, the lifestyle treats me very well out here. I can't, I can't complain. Awesome. I love it. Um, obviously, it seems like it's pretty laid back and that kind of is very on brand for you. <laughs> yeah, it's low key. I mean, LA is a funny town. You know, it gets a bad rap from some people. Some people love it. Kind of just depends on what side of town you end up on, what kind of group of friends you end up in. And, you know, for the most part, all of my closest friends out here are, you know, 30 something professionals. They've all got really phenomenal jobs. I'm friends with a lot of creatives out here. And my closest friend group in LA, none of them are in the wedding industry. And mm. I have my wedding industry friends for sure. And some of them are my best friends, but it's nice sure. to have my core group of LA friends. None of them are in the wedding business. So I don't have to talk about weddings 24 seven with them, but if they see I was somewhere cool and they want to talk about it, awesome. Mm. Um, so we've got a really, really supportive group of, of professionals out here. It's, it's amazing. Awesome. And in terms of the destination work, what's been your favorite place thus far that you've Whoa. traveled to? That's always a tough question, but I would say destination weddings specifically, not just travel. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough. I had some clients a few years ago who had their ceremony in Malibu. They did like a 30 person ceremony and small party. Mm -hmm. And then they hired me to shoot their reception three months later in Kenya. Oh, which was unbelievable. They, they flew me out to Africa for about a week and a half. I got to go on safari with my couple for two days and I'd never been to Africa before. Um, and it was just the most incredible experience ever. I mean, we got to see elephants and tigers and hippos and the most amazing stuff in, in the wild. The, the, the groom is originally from Kenya. He's like third mm. or fourth generation Kenyan. Wow. And they got, they had their reception at his family's compound down there. And that was, that was an unbelievable experience. Otherwise I got to second shoot a wedding a few years ago with a very good buddy of mine. He had some clients getting married in Iceland mm. and they were from the States. It was maybe 40 or 50 guests and they got married at Glacier Lagoon, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's basically this 
lagoon slash lake full of all these floating glaciers and they got married on the banks of this lagoon <clears throat> and it was amazing because for their ceremony they basically formed one big circle around the bride and groom in the middle and they hired a local viking as their officiant whoa okay. and this guy was like a legit beast of a man like six foot five 300 pounds came dressed in full fur uh, and it was really cool because he brought this giant ram's horn with him as part of the ceremony and it was filled with beer and they passed around and everyone took a swig of beer out of the ram's horn and just like, who does that? It's like the craziest yeah. shit. Uh, but it was, it was amazing. And like, what a sight to see just in front of one of the most incredible locations you could be at. Um, so the, yeah, those, those two definitely, definitely take the cake. Wow. And how opposite are they? And that's amazing. Like to experience those two different sort of polar opposites. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's and great. I think those were the same year too. That, that was, that was a good year. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's hop back a little bit, just a little bit to your childhood. You're like you said, you're not really thinking about being a professional photographer. You were, I guess, kind of inclined to go into business school just because that's what the lineage was in the family. Mm -hmm. um, you're sitting around, you're enjoying prices, right? You're, you're chilling out. Um, is that uh, like literally the favorite TV show or is that because to me Price is Right always felt like that you're sick from like, you're homesick from school? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's a 10 a.m. show on CBS. Uh, no, I mean, I legitimately loved and still do like it, and it's funny. I don't know how this hasn't happened yet. I haven't actually gone because they film in Los Angeles. That's right. Uh, but I mean, Bob Barker, like he's the man. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up watching Price is Right. It's it, it's just and it may make sense as, as like a natural business person. And I'm like, Oh great. I get to like guess prices and like, Oh, this makes sense. Like the, <laughs> that's such I a never thought of thing. that from the economics of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was always a fan favorite. I mean, if, if I happen to be home, I don't really have cable anymore. But I think you can watch it online. I'll catch it every once in a while, but it's just, it's always entertaining. Like I, it's, and especially summertime, that's when you're home every day at 10 a.m. Because it's tough to watch it during, you know, school because it's, right, it's, right. You know, you're at school. But, uh, oh, yeah, always, always entertaining. So you feel like if you get on, you would be a solid contestant? I feel like I would crush it. Yeah. Let's see what we can do to make that happen. If anybody listening is sort of uh, whatever, however many degrees to price right. What, do you know what the process there is? Because I feel like it's, is it random or? You have to so, no, it's actually ridiculously easy. Which So I have a list of, I have a list. It's called my tourist in LA list. Mm -hmm. And it's all the things that I would like to do that I just haven't gotten around to doing in LA. And it, that's actually at the top of it. But basically you can go online and reserve a ticket and there's, two tapings they do they tape twice a day and basically you just have to show up if you're there early enough you get in line it's more of a audition than anything so when you go in because they're looking for people who are going to be excited to be on stage and people sure. with personality but not too much personality so it is still like a casting so they'll fill the entire arena but i think from what i've heard is that say they've got 500 people in the audience they're only going to pull maybe like they'll put 50 of them in a random drawing. So it's still slightly random, but they're only mm. going to pick like the top 50 who they're like, these people are going to be good on stage. So there's, there's a little, a little performance with it, but then a little bit of random to it as well. I see. So they essentially, they filter down everybody and then exactly. they pick out from who they filtered out for. Yep. They've got their like a team of like, all right, if, if, you know, 20 of these 50 end up on stage, great. Like okay. yeah, they're, they're yeah. narrowing the pot down. I feel like we can rig this somehow. Like if we just get, there's gotta be a way. 
Right. And I don't mean necessarily a rig, but like stack the deck in your favor. If you I mean, I think if you have a really good t-shirt that says something funny about Drew Carey or like, you know, you go with a good group. I mean, I think they, from what I've heard again, from the rumors, cause they won't publish any of this online. So, and people, if you've been on prices, right, you cannot say a word about it until your episode airs. That makes sense. And it's normally like a three to five month delay in those airings. Mm. But, um, you know, they do like groups because they like the excitement of like one person out of, of a group of 20 getting picked because there's that much more energy. Sure. But to take a step back, so it's three to five months before it airs. You're telling me that every person that's been on Prices Right for, I don't know, 30 years or it's, it's been around for like 50 years, right? If not mm -hmm. more. They've all had the personal self-restraint to not. So they make you sign a full NDA that literally says like, we will take your prizes away if you talk about this. I think you only have to sign that if you win or if you get like, if you oh. get pulled down. So I don't think it's everyone in the, the whole I room. Gotcha. Well, no one wants to brag about, I was on prize right and I lost. Like, no like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I have, I, I know a person. Uh, by the time this airs, her episode will have aired, so I can say this, but mm -hmm. I was at her apartment, and I, and I, she had told me that she was on the show, but she didn't say if she got called out, she didn't say if she won anything, but she had, had forgotten that she had left something on her kitchen counter, and it was a license plate for a car. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and she had legit won, like I still haven't talked to her about it, because she can't actually say anything, but I was like, what is that on your counter? And she freaked out because she's like, Oh my God, like you can't tell anyone you saw this. Cause like they'll take my prizes away. So whatever NDA they have is apparently very strict. I'm surprised right now, honestly. And I'm, I mean, kudos to every price is right contestant who's won and kept their <laughs> mouth shut. I feel like I'm surprised in the age of social media and Twitter and everything that, that somebody hasn't slipped up. Well, cause I think they also do a phone check when you get in. In fact, I don't think I know they do. So no one, there's no cell phones anywhere. Basically no, they check your phone. Like after winning and then just yeah. going like, you could be I an think, idiot and drop hints, be like, I guess what I did. But like, I mean, there's literally no way that someone hasn't talked about it with their friends. But I think for the most part, especially if you won, you're like, I want to make sure I get my car. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I don't know. I feel like this is, this is ripe for a documentary. <laughs> I'm not mad about that. Yeah, like a Price is Right documentary, which I'm surprised still hasn't. I mean, maybe it has. I don't know. I don't, I don't keep track of that. I mean, that would be a good thing to put in production, especially maybe maybe they'll do it when Jim Carrey is finally done because that's going to be too full. I mean, because Jim's been doing it for what, probably 15 years now? Drew Carey. Or Drew Carey, yeah, sorry. Jim Carrey will be a slightly different... Oh, not different Jim Carrey, that would, be, that would be madness. That'd be weird, yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, he has been doing it for a while, but it's funny because it all just kind of blends together. But yeah, let's, let's just stick to classic prices, right? How we remember it. The Bob, the Bob Barker. Barker years. Bob Barker. And it was, uh, <laughs> even who was the guy, there was a, the announcer, he passed away, I think right after Bob left or right before Bob left. I think maybe two years after Bob left. Yeah. Oh. Um, I forget his name, but they've got a, the new guy they have, he's got a really phenomenal voice. So they're, they're, they're okay. crushing it on the casting. Nice. I feel like that's, uh, I mean, I'm sure he does other stuff, but I feel like that's such a great spot to be in. I'm the announcer for prices, right? Or I'm the I'm announcer. Fun job. Yeah. Like, do you go into the office? I mean, he has to because he literally calls different names every time. Well, and they, and in fact, and this may not be correct anymore, but to my knowledge, they always put him in like a little booth and they cut to him as he announces each person too. So I'm yes. pretty sure he's, he's in the room. Mm. But even so, you imagine you get up at eight in the morning or whatever it is, <laughs> you go to your job where you announce people's names for like two, three hours. The I don't job know is just to make people happy. 
Yeah. I, in a way, our job, right? What yeah, we do. True, true. It's what so, you do. Yeah, literally. <laughs> maybe, you know what, maybe when you capture it, so maybe we're, and you're still, you want to make sure everybody's happy throughout the process. Cause as I mentioned before, you're all about making that connection. So, um, we're all a little bit, Oh, price is right. Isn't all of us a little bit. <laughs> oh my God. Can you just put that on your website? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, we're trademarking a lot here today. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so take me through uh, the first part of your career. You're in LA. So did you start the business prior to coming to LA or, or once you were in LA, you started? So or technically I started while I was still in Tucson. Uh, while I was working for the mortgage company, I worked for them for seven years from 2001 to 2008. And it was a phenomenal job until 2008 when the economy crashed because of the mortgage companies. Uh, so it was a phenomenal job, but you know, I went from gainfully employed, making a lot of money to unemployed. Uh, but at the time I was actually moving to Argentina for an undetermined amount of time. So this bumped me to Argentina a month, a month sooner. Cause I was like, well, I get, I just got laid off. Might as well go, might as well go travel. So I'd already been shooting on the side for probably like a year and a half, maybe two years, but just for fun, you know, I was shooting you know, realtor headshots and real estate and families and babies and dogs and really shitty Tucson nightclubs for like <laughs> eight bucks an hour, you know, as everybody starts doing stuff for free and cheap and kind of just, you know, I was just doing it for fun. I shot at my first wedding, I think now probably 14, 13, 14 years ago for some family friends. They called me up. They said, Hey, we know you're getting into photography. We don't know if we're even going to have a wedding photographer, but like, would you want to come shoot it for $400? And I was like, yeah, 400 bucks to come work a party. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. And spent 600 bucks and bought my first flash. Cause I was like, well, it's, it's indoors. I need a flash. I'm already in the hole 200 bucks for my first wedding. Yep. And you know, church rec room, basement, steel folding chairs. I had no idea what I was doing. Had never even attended a wedding when I, when I showed up. Wow. So I had no idea of the flow. I was just like, yeah, great. I'm going to walk in and just take a bunch of photos. Easy. And looking back, you know, by the end of that first wedding, I immediately said to myself, I was like, screw this. I'm never shooting a wedding again. Who in their right mind wants this job? It's so stressful. It's not fun. Like I, I'm never doing a wedding again. And didn't shoot another one for about a year and a half. Was still shooting some portrait work and, you know, just other random stuff. And I had a buddy call me up. This is still in Tucson. And he said, hey, I've seen your portrait work. It's really great. I just got engaged. We're interested in hiring you for our wedding. And I told him, I was like, absolutely not. I don't shoot weddings. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, give us a quote and we'll go from there. So I think at the time I quoted him like two or three grand, which this is Tucson 10 years ago was right. so much money. Right. And he wrote me back. He's like, okay, great. We'll send you a deposit. And I was like, shit. I was like, now, now I got it. Now I have to do it. So, right. uh, so I spent three grand and bought my first lens, like my first real lens. So now I'm in the hole another thousand dollars on wedding number two. Mm -hmm. uh, but I spent like six months online, read everything I could find on wedding photography and hired a buddy to second shoot for me and just came in a lot more prepared. And I knew a lot of the people at the wedding, which was super helpful. So I knew most of the bridal party. They were all friends. You knew their names. And knew all their names. Which was great. It. Exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and had like an okay time. It was fun because I knew everybody there. But even after that wedding, I was like, this is still not for me. Like, I don't, it's, it's too much pressure. It's too much stress. There's like, you know, you mess up the first kiss, you're screwed. Like, what do you do? Yeah. You mess up one thing on a wedding day. You can't recreate that. So I came back out of that one. I was like, nah, this is still not for me. And in the meantime, I started working for a graduation photography company shooting high school and college graduations. That sounds so, awesome. 
photo with the diploma, handshake with the dean, you know, really creative, creative photography. <laughs> and, uh, but it was great because it was a big national firm. So mm -hmm. they actually sent me all across the country during graduation season to oh, go wow. shoot all over the place, which was awesome because I had the availability. Mm -hmm. And um, I came out to LA to shoot Palisades High School and I have some family in the area and uncle and cousins. Hit my aunt up because I was only in town for 24 hours. It was my first trip ever to LA. And I said, hey, I'm in town. Do you want to hang out? And she didn't even know I was doing photography at the time. And she said, oh my gosh, my best friend's a food photographer. I should introduce you guys. And I said, yeah, sounds great. So drove out to her studio that afternoon, met her. She had this amazing studio in Culver City. And I basically said flat out to her, I was like, hey, if my aunt and uncle let me come live with them for three months, can I work for you for free in your studio and just like teach me whatever you can, like... I have a business degree. If you want to market this space as an event space, I can help you with that. Like whatever you need. And she was like, yeah, free help for three months. Like done. Right. So I moved to LA like two weeks later. And you know, at the time I had a house, a girlfriend, I was working for a new mortgage company. So this is 2009. And I basically was just like, okay, bye. I'll be back in three months. And after two weeks in LA, I, I knew I was never going back. I, I fell in love with it here. I got spoiled where I was living up in the hills. I got to drive Pacific Coast Highway every day to mm. get into work at the studio. And it was just, it, I fell in love with it here. And even my first week or two, I got hooked up with a bunch of other photographers, started booking second shooting gigs, assisting gigs. I got hooked up with a photo booth company. So my first really two years in LA, I was shooting everything. So I was shooting Hollywood nightclubs, bar mitzvahs, a couple weddings here and there. But even then I was like, no, weddings are not for me. Uh, and then really about two years in, I realized how much I actually enjoyed them. Once I was prepared, once I knew the flow of the day, I had the right equipment. And I, it was at that time that I really realized, like I specialize in drunk adults. Like that's my jam. Mm -hmm. and I'm good with them. I can hang out with them. I can get in the mix and really, so yeah, my, my third year in LA, I cut out everything else. So only weddings at that point. And uh, yeah, so now it's been seven, eight years of just weddings. I was gonna say you took on bar and bat mitzvahs, but weddings still weren't. I just figured like, it's funny because when I started, I was sort of afraid of weddings mm -hmm. and I wanted to do more bar and bat mitzvahs. And then one of my mentors was like, dude, if you can do a bar and bat mitzvah, weddings are <laughs> <They're> way harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just, I, I guess from an entertainment standpoint, there's much more involved, but even from a photography standpoint, bar and bat mitzvahs, sure. They're very yeah, intricate. They're very intricate. There's, I mean, especially on the religious side, there's just mm -hmm. so many portions to the service. And like, there's so right. many moving parts that you have to be very cognizant of. Mm -hmm. I will say the reason I shot a lot of bar and botanists was when I came out to LA is because I got hooked up with a photographer who at the time told me he was mostly shooting weddings. Mm -hmm. After my first month with him, he basically sent me as a second or associate shooter for like, I think my first year with him, I probably shot like 25 mitzvahs. Wow. And I'm not really good with children at the time. <laughs> like I was like, great. I need, I need the money. I'm going to do it. And I, and I did a great job and it, and it trained me to work with children and also very wealthy adults too. So it was great. Cause I was shooting very high end, like Beverly Hills families. Right. Right. Um, so it, it was a good learning experience after that year. I was like, Nope, I'm not doing any mitzvahs ever again. Uh, and I hadn't shot another mitzvah in quite a few years. I actually had one last year. 
um, with Emily Clark and we did a big one in Dallas and it was, we actually had a great time. I mean, it was, there were a lot of drunk adults. So I was like, okay, great. My second photographer is good with the kids. So I sent her to do, you know, candids with the kids. Yep. Um, but we did the service at their home, you know, two days prior and it went really, really well. So yeah, it was just funny having that in my wheelhouse, my, you know, first couple of years in LA and I was like, nope, not doing it again. And then yeah. now it's coming full circle, coming back to it. That's funny. But I feel like if you know what it is, like going into it, you know what you can handle, what you want your second shooter to handle. So if you know your strengths and weaknesses, you've got that professional self-awareness. It's easier to dissect a bar by mitzvah and even a wedding to just designate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and And the gal, the specific photographer that I hired as my second for this event, I knew she was really phenomenal with kids, super high energy, like very playful. I was like, okay, she's going to be phenomenal with kids. And and she, she absolutely crushed it. Like if I ever shoot another mitzvah, I don't care how much she's going to charge me. She's the only person I'll hire because she did such a good job with those kids. Awesome. So just to rewind a little bit, you were living with your aunt and uncle in LA. Yeah. So they have a house up in the Palisades. Um, so I lived with them. So the deal was I was going to live with them for three months and they had hosted some of my other cousins over the you know previous 10 years. They've got a big house up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were excited for me to hang out with my cousins who are younger, who I don't get to see very often. So they right. said, okay, great. Like, you know, we'll let you come live with us for three months. And, you know, three months turned into four, turned into five, you know, and, and I think everyone in Tucson knew that I wasn't coming back, but I was like, Oh, just one more month. I'm going to stay one more month. And then they're like, you're not, you're not coming back. Are you? So I think I ended up getting my first apartment in LA about five months into being here. Cause I was like, okay, I can't, I can't take full advantage of living for free this long. And I was starting to bring in, you know, good money. I lived in that first apartment for only about two months. Turns out it was like a, a girl and a guy who I moved in with. It was a big three bedroom apartment. And the girl turned out to be like a raging alcoholic, oh. like undercover. I didn't know because I hadn't seen her room when I took the tour of the place, but it, mm-hmm. it was just a terrible situation. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I got to get out of here and call my aunt. I was like, Hey, I need to leave this apartment in the next like five days because like my roommate's getting aggressive and went and lived back with them for like a month as just kind of a crash pad. So I could take my time finding a better apartment. And then my second apartment was four blocks from the water in Santa Monica. I lived in that place for about eight years, almost nine years. And it was like, it was an incredible place being that close to the water. I could, I could be at the beach in a five minute walk. Um, And we finally got kicked out last year because the owner decided to sell the con. It was a condo. Um, And so I just moved about 13 months ago to Marina del Rey. So not super, not super far. I'm a little bit further from the beach, but uh, my new place, I absolutely love. It's like super, super nice, quite the upgrade. So um, yeah, it's, it's LA, LA treats me very well. It's, it's a great place to come home to when I'm on the road so often. Um, And yeah, I, I love it. So given that backstory and given the history of living with your aunt and uncle, it's fair to say you're Brian Leahy, Fresh Prince of LA. One, I used to call it the Fresh Prince of Bel Air House. <laughs> Actually, the Fresh Prince of the Palisades. So my aunt is a my aunt's a showrunner in LA. I don't know if you are familiar with that term. Yeah, um, well, I mean, depending on what, like in in actual television or in television. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's been in the TV world her entire life. So she's a showrunner for a lot mm-hmm. of really big TV shows. So they've they've got a, you know they've got a very nice, comfortable place. So it was, yeah. it was a great place to stay, especially because they let me stay there for free. So for me to be able to work my first six months here and really save up some cash because. I had never paid rent before. I used to own property in Tucson, especially being mm. in the real estate mortgage world. Right. I started buying real estate really early. 
uh, and I had never paid rent before. And I, even at the time in Arizona, I had roommates paying my rent or my mortgage for me. So I lived for free or I made money on my roommates at my homes in Tucson <laughs> and then to come out to LA and to pay some of the most expensive real estate, you know, in the whole country outside of SF and New York right. was, uh, was quite the shock. So gotcha. was, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. So I want to dive in a little bit deeper. Um, what I want to do is just a quick lightning round of questions yeah. and then we'll get into some this or that. And uh, I just want you to like, imagine you are strapped to a lie detector test. You got to be very, very candid here and, and just okay. very transparent. All right. Okay. So you live in Los Angeles, right? That's, that's right. within the Hollywood world. Uh -huh. Do you think Anna Kendrick and I would make a good couple? I mean, only if I'm not with her first. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I could see that. I could, I could see you two together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So perhaps this could be a launching pad for, for that conversation. I mean, you yeah. just got to get out to LA, man. I can introduce you. Oh, you know her. I see. It's LA. You, know, you just walk everybody out the street. Celebrities are everywhere. Yeah. Is that something I'm sure you get pretty often? Like, oh, who do you know? What celebrities do you know? only from people who've like never been to LA, LA I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because out here, I mean, realistically, like you can go to a grocery store and you're going to run into somebody, but it's not a big deal. And in fact, you don't even want to bother them. Cause you're just like, you guys do your thing. Like you can always tell when it's a tourist because they're like, Oh my God, it's like Steve so-and-so. And they like run yeah. up and the locals are like, just leave them alone. They're still regular people. Yeah. Cause then you're that guy or that gal. Exactly. Nobody um, wants yeah. to be that guy. Right. But also there's a reason they chose that area to live in, knowing that people would leave them alone to your point. Yeah. There's just, just people, especially when they're shopping or doing something. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so top back next question. If it were a choice, would you attend nostalgia? <laughs> <laughs> For those well, the question is, the question is where did you open the first one? And yes, TBD on where, okay. <laughs> but I would love to try out LA to be quite honest. For those unaware, um, I had brought this idea to Brian, I want to say maybe like two, three years ago. Yeah, at least, probably three yeah. years ago now. Yeah. So Nostalgium is a fitness, uh, it's a day or like half a day of fitness, the fitness experience based around nostalgia, thus Nostalgium. And I could never grasp why retro fitness was called retro fitness. There's nothing retro about retro it. Retro about it. All right. So I feel like if, let's say, we say, okay, 90s day, and you come in, and there's LA looks hair gel over the place, and there's cardboard cutouts of Zach Morris flying around. Oh, gotta be amazing. And, right? And then you've got like Britney Spears playing, who, by the way, childhood crush, I assume, same for you. My girl. Yep. There you go. So <laughs> she. She's playing in the background, not physically, but I mean, if she wants to come through, that's fine. But I mean, if you're got, rolling big deep on that budget, I mean, you could probably hire her right now. I feel like, yeah, I think we could probably get somebody. Do you think then that would be a draw, like getting some, some celebrity in there from that era? I think LA would be the perfect place to do that because A, you've got access to those kinds of folks. B, LA loves a pop-up. Yeah. So... LA loves a pop-up. I mean, you name it, we've had it here. So something like that, especially retro and for LA being, you know, a young millennial town, anything from eighties and nineties would crush it. Um, yeah. I mean, warm. I like you could do it outside almost any time of the year. Well, absolutely. And are you like, are you familiar with Daybreaker? No. So if you've never done it, I absolutely suggest it. It's one of the weirder things you can do in life, but there's an organization called Daybreaker you can find them on Instagram. They're, they're huge. They're all over the world. But mm -hmm. they throw dance parties at sunrise 
oh. all over the country. So I attended one of these in New York on a rooftop in Williamsburg like two years ago. And oh, so, that sounds about right together. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Like that all <laughs> makes sense. But you get there at, I think we showed up at like 4 a.m. And they have a different theme every time. So this one was onesies. So imagine 300 people on a rooftop at sunset in Williamsburg looking out over the sun rising over Manhattan raging and there's no alcohol like they serve coffee they've got snacks it's always sponsored by a couple brands and it's basically this like hour and a half and it's on like a tuesday morning and they call it daybreaker because you're obviously doing it right, as the sun comes up but yeah. all these people rage and then they go to work at 8 a.m so they host it early enough in the morning you just party your fucking face off and then everyone like changes and goes to work and it's the weirdest thing because everyone's sober for the most part uh <laughs> And it's, you're dancing in the daylight, but it was one of the most fun experiences I have ever had. So like yours is basically like the quasi permanent version of that as a pop-up. So, I mean, yeah, I would, I would go to that in a heartbeat. I just feel like I understand that it would take away from your regular gym routine, but I also feel like, okay, but why is that so wrong? I think it was just, if we can get somebody to abandon their their typical gym routine for one day that's one day a week one day a month really i mean yeah and because you're only doing these classes so often like you don't need to have it as an actual gym that's fully open the whole day like i envision it as more like okay we got a 10 a.m jazzercise class that we're gonna put you know 50 people in right all right we're doing it so we're set i love it i love it perfect (laughs) all right hop into this or that i'm going to give you uh two options on certain things they're going to be across the board i want you to not think about it just gut reaction whatever comes to mind as far as which option it's personal preference you ready ready tupac or biggie tupac beatles or rolling stones stones bell biv devoe or boys to men oh boys Ooh, ooh. bell devoe wow you're the first that's ever changed it midway. Well, because it took, like, I, I already heard Boys to Men. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, we got to go back. <laughs> nice. I like that you analyzed it. NSYNC or Backstreet Boys? NSYNC. John Amos or John Stamos? Oh, Stam. I mean, Stamos? Always. <laughs> <laughs> Porsche or Porsche? Ooh, oh, Porsche. Friends wait, we're or- talking about the actress or the car? <laughs> the car. <laughs> nice. Well done. It's personal perception. Uh, the car, the pronunciation, Porsche, oh, Porsche, 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 friends or Frazier. Oh, Frazier. I grew up in Washington state. That's my guy. Very nice. Yeah. Necktie or bow tie? Necktie. I can't pull off a bow tie. It doesn't look good on me. Boutonniere or pocket square? Pocket square. And just for you, Brittany or Christina? Oh, I mean, Brittany. Oh boy. Oh yeah. I got it. She's the, she's the classic. Yeah. <laughs> That was my first forte into like making excuses for people you like, because she was not a better singer than Christina, but (laughs) I had to convince herself. No, no, she's talented. Yeah, she's really talented. No, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think like the first like poster I ever had in my room as like a proper early teenager was that one of her and like Daisy Dukes and some like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was my job. I was next to a tree, I believe. Next to the tree. Yeah. We had the same poster, Brian. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like every guy at that age between like 12 and 18 had that poster. That's that's probably one of the most sold posters ever of that era. That's actually a great statistic to look up at some point. I'm not going to do it now, but I feel (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the mystique of whether it is or it isn't. Yeah. You let me know if you find that because I'll actually be really curious if they even have, if that stat even exists. I was going to say, like, do you think they keep track of that now? Like, you know, I I bet 
Well, Listen, you can find everything. anything online. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they keep track. And sometimes, like, the sports statistics, like, oh, this mm-hmm. is LeBron James's fifth game scoring 30 points after he slept seven hours and had yeah. kids three weeks before. Like, <laughs> like so minute. <laughs> yeah, if they can get that detailed, I'm sure we we know poster sales of the mid and late 90s. I bet it exists. Yeah, you keep me posted on that because now I'm really curious. We'll find out. If anybody listening has that data available <laughs> to them, like, if they keep it in their saved tabs, <laughs> what else do you think would have been i think probably the jordan poster with him with the six championship rings was probably 100 yep the, that one and then i mean like done. six months later i think christina had one that was like fairly risque at the time as well i think jessica simpson started to come up sort of later on right that's true yeah i think she was like a year or two later i wasn't a fan and then towards later on when she got the show and everything yeah you also kind of talk your way out of that too. Like, yeah, no, she's probably smarter than she puts on. Yeah, no, like, yeah, chicken of the sea. It's definitely chicken. It's chicken. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was a big one. Um, But even recently, it doesn't seem like, I mean, I'm sure she's matured as a person. Shout out Jessica Simpson. We're not going to finish anybody. (laughs) Props props to your girl. I I hope everyone's doing well from Christina to Brittany to Jessica Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hope so too. But not only do we agree on a lot professionally, uh, I'm also very much a Frasier fan. And I will say nothing against anyone. And I know we have mutual friends that love a good bow tie. I just don't understand why anybody would like tie a bow tie. It, it's, just, it's a lot it's of like, work. It's way it, too much work. It's not even the work. It's more like it just feels like it's something that's like propping your head up from falling <laughs> over. And then, <laughs> <laughs> but I also no. Don't get me wrong. There's guys that pull it off really well, and it looks sure. good very few, very few. But there are there are men that can pull it off well. Yeah, but I just feel like there's more that you can do with a necktie, especially when you're working with knots. Like you do Windsor, full Windsor, half Windsor. Well, and the thing with a bow tie is like if you wear it more than once, it almost becomes your thing. So like I know a couple of guys like they have to wear it. Like if you see them in a tie, it's just weird now. Weird. But they yeah. they only wore a bow tie twice, and they're like, well, now I'm the bow tie guy. It's true, which could obviously, as you're saying, you could work in your favor yeah. if you do it right. Um, but also, if you, if you if you have a solid pocket square collection, you could also work that into your personal brand. So exactly, love a pocket square. A lot of versatility there. <laughs> um, so the last two minutes are yours, sir. What do you want everybody to be aware of? What do you got coming up next? Anything you're really super excited about? And also tell everybody how they can find you if they want to get in touch. Amazing. Um, they can find me at brianleahyphoto.com and that's L-E-A-H-Y and it's Brian with an I, brianleahyphoto.com. Also at Brian Leahy on Instagram. Uh, what do I have coming up? Just some more travel. Um, not a lot of personal stuff this year because I'm kind of on working on the grind. So I've got some exciting weddings in Napa and Santa Fe and Sedona, kind of all over the place. But uh, I mean, if anyone's looking for for something fun, if anybody needs travel recommendations, I've done most of Southeast Asia. I've done most of South America. If anybody wants to talk about Ecuador, I could talk about that country for days. Um, and I just love, I love chatting anything travel. So find me, shoot me a DM. I'm, I love, I love meeting new people. So yeah, don't, don't be shy about reaching out. Excellent. Brian Leahy, the Fresh Prince of Palisades. Perfect. <laughs> I get that right. All right, Brian, thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you again. Thank you for having me, man. This was a blast.